Uh, I think those discussions are a little bit of the past. And I think the current conversations most CIOs and CEOs are having is what is the outcome that we got, right? So it's it's more results oriented, it's more specific outcome oriented. And that's changed the dialogue and discussion around how we think about AI and automation overall. Data, artificial intelligence, the metaverse, crypto and Web3, and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live, work, and experience the universe. I am your host, Ganesh Padmanabhan, and this is Stories in AI, a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like AI, its impact on individuals, organizations, and the society. You will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners, their personal stories, their best practices, and advice to put technology to work. I hope you enjoy this engaging conversations. Now, before we begin, a note about our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Experian, whom you may know as the Consumer Credit Bureau, but they are at heart a data company. When you're buying a car or home, sending your kids to college, or borrowing to grow your business, Experian is most likely helping you behind the scenes. They unlock the power of data to make better decisions, get access to financial services, and to prevent crime, unlocking a whole world of opportunities for individuals and organizations. Find out more at Experian.com. In this episode, I speak with Sanjay Srivatsava. Sanjay is the Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Officer at Genpact a global digital transformation service provider. He runs the company's data, AI, analytics, and automation software services business and oversees Genpak's AI-enabled digital platform, Cora. Sanjay is deeply rooted in the innovation system and is an advisor to Silicon Valley incubators in several startups and as a limited partner in some venture funds as well. Sanjay serves on the board of MMACDO, he's a member of the Digital 50, BCG's Digital Transformation Networks, CNBC's Technology Executive Council. He was named IDG's Top 10 Digital Transformation Influencers to follow and frequently blogs in LinkedIn. Now, prior to Genpak, Sanjay was also a a serial entrepreneur having built four different startups in edge networks, data center automation, predictive algorithms, and SaaS, right? Um, and and she's, he's, he's actually also held a lot of operating roles at HP, uh, Enterprise, Akamai, and SunGuard, where he oversaw product management, sales, and various product and services, P&L. Now, Sanjay is amazing to speak with. I mean, Sanjay is one of those um, individuals who have had the breadth of experience being part of and building startups to working with several global 2000 companies as a trusted advisor in his role at Genpak. We explored the various facets of uh, where is AI today and what's real, what's working, what's not working, and how should organizations and organizational leaders think about data and AI-led digital transformation. Take a listen. Sanjay, welcome to Stories in AI. How are you today? I'm really well. Thank you for asking. And thanks for having me here. And thank you. And thank you for joining. Thanks for taking time. I know we've been trying to do this for a while now. I'm so grateful that you found time to do it. Why don't we get started with your personal journey, your personal story? I mean, tell the audience your background, how you got into all the things, all the great things that you do today. Uh, pretty much everything I've done is by accident. It's probably the first thing I would say. So there's no real strategy behind there. 
Um, I graduated with an engineering degree in uh, aerospace engineering, and then I went on to business school. And subsequently, I started my first position at Hewlett Packard. I was the I was the first product manager actually for a hardware box, so sheet metal, Unix, operating system, database, all of the all of the core. Um, wow. It turned out that business became a six billion dollar business for the company as the Unix server uh, line, if you will, back in the day. And uh, I did that, enjoyed it, loved it a lot. Left HP, became an entrepreneur in the valley. Built four startup companies. Uh, they all got acquired by different public large corporations. Um, and then my fourth company was acquired actually by the company I'm currently at, which is Genpact. And, uh, and my fourth company was a, was a SaaS play in the early days of SaaS becoming mainstream. And, and it found a great home within Genpact. And Genpact was at the time a business process outsourcing company. And uh, that marriage led to some bigger things because I think there was an opportunity to sort of, for Genpack was on a, on a track of figuring out what the next thing in its evolution was. And obviously this capability became the starting point for something much bigger. And so I now am the chief digital officer for Genpack. I run our digital business. It's all of the AI, analytics, automation software, the data fabric and technology services. And the company overall has progressed from being a business process outsourcing company in the past to really a digital transformation professional services company now. And so that's been my journey professionally uh, so far. And of course, you and I met a few years ago and uh, I've uh, looked forward to our interactions. No, that is amazing. What a, what a very accomplished and a wonderful journey. It's a, it's a dream for most entrepreneurs, you know, building four companies, getting acquired, all four of them. And then, you know, figuring out in one of the acquisitions is a very rare thing that marriage, right? Where you go into a larger company and you get to go and, take what you've built and expand that into building something net new. And that's, that's just an amazing, and, and I watched your journey too, right. And we, you know, we met a few years ago, uh, five, six years ago, actually. And I, I watched how, uh, not just you, but also how you were instrumental in transforming Genpack as an organization to who you are right now. So, um, I'd love to actually explore a lot more on, you know, what you're seeing with your experience with clients and stuff around, data, AI, uh, cloud, if you will, or, or the linchpins of uh, digital transformation. So, you know, why don't we start with your view on the state of the market, right? Where is AI and automation today? What's working? What's not? What is being worked on by organizations and what is still untouched? Yeah. And maybe, and Ganesh, you know this, but just to make sure um, I caveat this, look, my perspective right now is from the perspective of my current role, so we serve Fortune 500 companies, large global corporations across the world, sure. and we help them transform their um, existing operations. So it's not necessarily the world I came from, which is I was a startup CEO. Yes. So we don't really sort of serve um, that segment in my current role. But look, I'll tell you this. Uh, I think there is a shift to uh, from value to outcome. And what I mean by that mm. is a lot of technology went in the ground based on here's the value that it brings and here's the value you will get, right? Uh, I think those discussions are a little bit of the past. And I think the current conversations most CIOs and CEOs are having is what is the outcome that we got, right? So it's, it's more results oriented. It's more specific outcome oriented. And that's changed the dialogue and discussion around how we think about AI and automation overall. I think... Um, that has led to a broad-based realization that AI or automation is not the answer searching for a question. And what I mean by that is most, um, most companies now approach it and say, well, wait a minute, before I jump to the answer, let me first figure out the question. Am I asking the right question? What is the business problem? 
And how do we how do we think about the business problem? How do we stay with the business problem first of longer than we would otherwise? Because we're all ready to jump into solutions. So let's interrogate the problem a little bit longer than we would otherwise feel comfortable doing, and then reimagine that process, reimagine that endpoint, and then now bring in technologies. And AI has a really large role to play, and automation likewise. But then it becomes a component of the larger answer as opposed to the answer. Um, I do think what's happened, though, is in the last few years, and I think the pandemic in part is very responsible for this, is there's just been a complete acceleration. And we've talked about this in so many forums around digital transformation. And, and the reality is that the, you know, the top three things on any board's mind right now has to do with, uh, with growth. It has to do with resiliency. And it has to do with transformation. Those are like the three biggest things any board's focused on. And for good reason, because what's happening is the world around us is changing. Um, you know, we work with so many clients. I'll give you one example. We work with a company that actually makes ice creams, the sort of ice creams that you and I would eat, right? Well, it turns out, and I didn't really yeah. realize this until I got involved, most of those ice creams are a good chunk of those ice creams are sold at movie theaters. When you go see a movie, you grab a cone or whatever. And that's a, that's, a, that's a large channel for them. And it turned out that when we went into the pandemic, the movie theaters got shuttered. And as that happened, this channel pretty much disappeared overnight. And so you've got a situation where you've got a, you've got a company that's built around servicing that channel. And overnight, you're trying to switch it to, you know, how do you get to the Sanjay and the wife and the two kids blanket in hand Saturday night, Netflix at 8 p.m. And you want to be able to hit them right there and there with the right offer. And it isn't just about that. It's not about the integration into Netflix. It's about how do you actually set up the back end and the back plane to deliver in 20 minutes that ice cream that. to that address, mm -hmm. right? So that's the kind of change that's happening around us. And that's driving significant uh, appetite for automation and uh, AI, but it's in the context of solving a business problem and delivering outcome, not necessarily you know, projecting what value we would get out of it. And I think that's a big change from, you know, say, 10 years ago when we were all in this together. Interesting. You know, I think you know, it's it's very um, it's it's very profound that you're actually calling out. It's not just the the value that you bring in, but it's the outcome that you influence. So in other words, it's also nobody really cares about how you get to the answer, as long as a you have the right answers for the right questions, and then you're giving them the actual outcome. Then you know, hey, here's the thing: is there a is there a corollary to it, or um, the translation for if you're a company building a new product or offering an AI? Is that does that mean that look platforms that people can generate value on are thing of the past? You should just go focus on building value-oriented or, or outcome-oriented products that is powered by AI. Is that the translation you would say? I think uh, I think a little bit of what I'm saying is, um, and by the way, I mean this because I am a technologist at heart, and my entire career. Yeah. is built on that foundation. But I, I want to say technology is no longer the long pole in the tent. Um, when you're looking at driving large-scale transformation, whether it's applying AI into meaningful users in an enterprise, yeah. you know, technology is one part of the problem. But you have to think about people. You have to think about processes. Yeah. You have to think about data. And you have to think about technology. It's almost like there are four assets in a corporation. And then you have to sort of orchestrate change very comprehensively across them. Right. So think about people, adoption, skilling, operating models, um, lots of changes that need to be ha happening there as you deploy AI, as an example. Think about processes. Right. Uh, it used to be that we did digitization. We take an end to end process, we break it into all the components. We take each component. We say, how do we digitize it? How do we automate it? 
How do we make it faster? How do we do it quicker? How do we do it cheaper, right? That was automation. That was digitization. At the end of that process, the process remained, this, the work that got done was exactly the same. It was faster. It was quicker. It was better. We're not doing that anymore so much, right? What we're doing now is digital transformation. So we take an end-to-end process, and then we actually reimagine the process with now the help of these new exactly. capabilities that we have that we didn't have. So by the time you're done with digital transformation, you're the work that gets done isn't exactly the same. Those chevrons don't really match where you started. You've changed the contours of what you do through the use of new technology. And so it becomes very important. And platforms, I'll come back to because that's a very important topic in its own right. But the idea is that when you apply it, you have to apply it in the context of the other assets in a corporation and orchestrate change in a meaningful Got fashion it. so you, have take, you can take advantage of it. Got it. On platforms, you know, uh, give, give me the thought on your, on your thought on platforms in general. Well, I think in general, what's happening is, you know, data, AI, and cloud. I mean, they've become the three big levers um, going forward. Yep. And what's really interesting about that platform is that it's a full cycle, right? So AI needs a ton of data. Data needs actually the cloud. Cloud actually powers the AI compute. So you've got this round circle, and it's just going to, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a flywheel. It just keeps spinning faster and faster and faster. You know, what we're finding out is data has now actually become, uh, for large corporations anyway, the largest driver of transformational value at the time, right? Like unlocking all of that dark data that's sitting in PDF files and voicemails and emails and the like, and being able to bring that out in a way that it can be classified and and then acted upon with true AI and analytics yep. capabilities. We, 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 we truly believe today is the number one driver of value. Cloud, the whole story has changed, right? The story in cloud used to be its efficiency. It's, you know, hey, Miss CIO, is job number seven on your list. It's job number 19 for the company. Is that really what you want to spend time on? Let's outsource it. Let's put it in a data center in the cloud, and we'd sort of get rid of all of this stuff. Single pane of glass, super efficient infrastructure. Yeah. Um, that's no longer the story, right? The story now is that we're digitally transforming. We're needing to provide our business capabilities that require a completely different backplane of technology and be able to innovate with this new functionality. And that functionality requires innovation. And most of the innovation now is happening on the back of, of hyperscalers. And so it's the innovation, it's the modernization, it's the new apps that you need to compete in the new world that is driving the consumption of cloud. And the answer is, it's not that it's efficient or it's more, it's cheaper. The answer is that it's more innovative and you can actually be much more agile with new capabilities riding on the shoulders of others. So I actually think this platform thing is super important. And then, of course, AI, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing in AI, and actually, it's interesting, Ganesh, because you know, I first met four or five years ago, and, and maybe my own thinking has evolved, right? It used to be that all of us thought about AI as like a big thing, right? It was, you know, you, you, you turn to someone and say, hey, what do you, what's the first thought, thought that comes to mind in terms of AI? You know, what are they going to say? Autonomous driving, right? Like, these are big yeah. AI projects, and all of our mindset was oriented to you bring in a big platform and you do big things and you do an end-to-end -end application. I'll tell you where I've seen the most success and you know we're a large corporation, we do a lot of AI across our the work we do. It's the small AI, right? It's how do you yeah. extract information from an invoice? It's how do you how do you read something on a form and separate what was on the form before it got filled out and what was filled out on the form and having the intelligence to separate the two using computer vision as an example. 
And these are small things that you use in everyday life. We use them pervasively, use them all the time. How do you do chatbots? How do you do voice recognition, right? Like these are small things, right? So I don't know if I want to call it small AI, but what I'm trying to talk about is the fact that there's these microservices of AI. There's these small accelerators, right? And being able to yep. plan them in all of your day-to-day, everyday walk of life is actually driving more value than trying to think about like this yeah. one big application that will suddenly unlock all of the value for the corporation. And so at least my thinking is involved as well. Um, but behind all of that yeah. is the platform you're talking about. No, no, it's it's actually interesting. Very, very, um, very timely you mentioned that because I was there's this debate even today, right? You go to a lot of AI practitioners or thought leaders in the industry, they would say, no, no, you need the big bang approach. You need to actually reimagine an entire AI first organization, AI first business process to go make make it happen. And but I tell you, in even in my own experience working with several global two thousand companies, the ones that they actually are successful because AI is an iterative you know, technology, right? Or a platform that helps you iterate to ask questions. You're never going to, it's a probabilistic in nature. So you're never going to get a hundred percent correct answer. Uh, otherwise you don't, you don't need AI machine learning. So the whole technique of actually, how do you build these different capabilities and micro, I love the way you say it, AI microservices, right? And then all of that, when you actually stack it up and when you can now start doing higher order output at a business process level or an application level, then it becomes that hyper automation that you can drive and create that self-driving business process and so forth. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, I know there's a lot of, I, I personally know some businesses that really benefited by taking the big bang approach, but that benefit was not about getting AI into production. That benefit was about creating that rally cry across the organization, making sure everybody right. believes in the new mission and so forth, right? The people aspect. Um, but but it's fascinating how you say that. The more the value, we're also saying, take narrow problems that you can solve, scale it out, deliver value, deliver outcomes, and then stack it up to see how the, how can you reimagine a particular process. Right? I like what you said um, about fascinating. The, I like I love what you said about the iterative approach as well, Ganesh. Because I think I mean, we are, it, what is it called the the machine learning paradox? Like it's a big phrase now in the industry. But it's this fundamental issue, right? Yep. Which is, you know, for machine learning to be really put to use in real life, you know, mission critical, you know, lights off operations, it has to perform to a certain threshold of acceptable performance. Like the accuracy needs to be at a specific level. And so that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is for AI to get better, for machine learning to get better, it actually needs to be put to use so it can learn from itself, right? And so you got this paradox, which is you, you sort of have to put machine learning in place to be able to get to higher accuracy levels. And then you need high accuracy levels to be able to actually use machine learning in a real life environment. And so, you know, this notion of actually breaking it down and putting it in the context of business processes or other elements in, in kind of these microservices. And then actually the other element of that is actually putting the human in the loop, right? So you actually have to have this notion of yep. bilinguality. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. I've always had the belief that the world doesn't really need any more machine learner, learning scientists. Of course we do, by the way, but just, uh, just bear with me. Sure. I think what the world needs is someone who understands finance and machine learning, someone who understands manufacturing and computer vision. It's that intersection of disciplines. It's the ability to place AI in the context of a business nuance that's really become very important. And we call it bilinguality or trilinguality, but the ability to do that is actually key and critical. And so I think the other element of putting AI to use, one is actually don't only think about this as a big app. Think about this as small microservices that you can put into every day. And by the way, we've done this in personal life. So we, you know what I mean, right? Like theory and this and that idea that we use it all the day. So it's the same idea. And then you have to really marry a very 
thoughtful human in the loop approach to that um, to be able to make it real. Um, so I think that's a second uh, kind of thing I'd point out. Maybe a third learning I have on that journey of iterative um, AI uh, evolution is something that most companies I've worked with don't get to till the end, but it's like step number one, right? Which is when you think about an engineered application of artificial intelligence, in the end, when it's all said and done, the AI piece is actually 5% of the work. It's maybe 7%, maybe 10%. Yeah. We really got it right. Yeah. Um, 90% of the work is, you know, Ganesh, is actually all of the infrastructure around it, right? Getting the data in place and normalizing and sifting and curing and making sure that that's ready and then running all the models yeah. and then all of the, all of the, you know, version controls and knowing when to promote a new model and what accuracy levels to, you know, put it into play or to be able to go back reflectively and look back in the past and for audit or other regulatory reasons and say, what was the data that drove what model at what point in time and what decisions were made? Like all of that infrastructure is 90 plus percent of the work. And so, you know, the other thing we've learned over the, over the years is when you go down into an AI project, think about AI, as a, the AI piece is a piece of the larger piece. And you know, plan appropriately, build appropriately, put that infrastructure in place, you actually end up having a production instance, not a POC example, right? And and that's learning that many yeah. of us have gone through and gotten the hard way, but it's really meaningful. No, no, fa you know, fascinating. I think, in fact, like you, the, the, the couple of things just to, one is the fact that, yes, it's iterative, you have to do it. And then the need for actually thinking about it, and I'm connecting it back to your earlier comment on, uh, outcomes, right? Just focusing on making sure that you're solving the right problems, asking the right questions. I think one of the things that, and I'm sure you, you would agree to it, we've seen is AI requires a longer term commitment to get right, right? Partially because of the iterative nature, partially because, you know, people have realized that you can't just buy AI because you have to weave it into your fabric. You need that, you know, bilingual, trilingual kind of, you know, subject matter expertise, domain expertise, plus the technology expertise. So you start have to build, you have to invest in building capabilities within organizations and stuff. You know, although I would say like one of my um, pet peeves, if you will, is when I see all of the COE work that is happening, let's go set up a centralized COE, let's hire people from outside and build it in and they become the ivory tower of doing AI. You're kind of losing that, you know, intelligence that is residual in human beings on the edges, right? So, and the hybrid approach of actually bringing that human intelligence and also bringing, you know, uh, deep technical expertise is the golden uh, thing. And like you said, it's like 5% of the work is building the model, right? The rest 95% is actually all about the data, interpreting the data, organizing the data, making sure that you can deploy it in production, the whole nine yards. So, um, Grace, you know, no, it's fascinating. Yeah. I was just going to say on that last point um, that you were making, it's interesting. I was recently in a conversation with the head of a recruiting firm a large global recruiting firm. And, you know, I work with a lot of CIOs for large corporations. And so you'll often get the question of, you know, what defines um, a really good CIO? And it's a, it's, it's a really, I've spent some time thinking about this and then all my travels and interactions with yes, most super smart people like you. And, and one of the things that I think has stood out for me is this, you, this, this, this mix that we need of someone who is inside out and yet outside in. And, you know, particularly in a large corporate environment, being outside in is super important because, you know, you don't want to be confined by the four walls of the organization and therefore get caught up in the momentum yeah. of here's how we used to do, why, you know, why would we even think about changing it? And you need to be close enough to emerging technologies. I know you are, by the way. Uh, you need to be in the venture ecosystem. You need to be spotting new trends, et cetera. So a lot of outside and thinking is actually instrumental 
and it's a key part of the requirement of being effective CTO, CIO, CDO, you know, the trans the lead transformation agent in a company. And other if you didn't have that, you couldn't get it done. But you know, the other aspect of it is um actually transformation is very fundamental. I mean, the kinds of things we're driving collectively now is actually grassroots. It's uh, it encompasses the whole company. Yeah. It it invi- it involves pretty much everyone there. And so you know, you need the internal sort of understanding of the business model and the nuances of the processes. And then actually, to be honest, the people and the credibility and the championship, because you have to get everyone on the same page. And so in many ways, yeah. unfortunately, you have to be an insider because if you're not an insider, you can't really instrument all of those <laughs> things. And so I think one of the biggest things, uh, you know, I sort of think about is how do you balance this outside in with an inside out perspective and then be able to put that into play in the right way. And I just think that's, that's like the defining characteristic now of you know, leaders I see that are very successful in driving transformation um, in the industry today. That's amazing. Uh, the unicorn transformer, if you will, right? Like who brings in the outside in perspective, remains close to that thing. And then the also understands the internal mechanics to go drive that change and, and drive change management at scale. In fact, I think the two, two things that come to mind when, when you were talking about this, one is the fact that machine learning is just like as close as it can get to scientific method. Yet you start with a hypothesis, you collect data, you learn from it, and then you iterate to get to perfection, right? Or closer to perfection, right? So it's an interesting thing. Like, you know, we were talking about iterative nature of ML. So it's very close to scientific method or how you should live life. On the other hand, what is also, maybe it's, a, it's a probably a random thought, but you, you talked about how do you drive and influence change, especially with driving transformation, changing business. For Worse, good or for worse, there is a, a huge uh, lesson that we can learn from social networks because it's all about activating networks. It's, it's about building communities. It's about driving change where you get grassroots participation to doing things, right? So one of the things I, you know, um, I, I wish more organizational leaders do when they're driving transformation and change is to learn from how do we go and learn from how did... Facebook go from one campus to three and a half billion, four and a half billion people using that platform today, right? What can we learn from driving change in that fashion? So um, fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. You know, what makes a unicorn CIO? I love that. I love that section. Um, very good. So one one other hot topic in AI and in, in, across the industry is this notion of ethics and responsible AI, Right. Uh, unintended consequences, intended bad consequences, you know, bias, the whole nine yards, right? What are you seeing in the market? Are they still theoretical discussions and conversations? Are the real impact that we're seeing? Are organizations really doing something about it? Um, I think the short answer is that I think this is recognized to be a large issue and everyone is working on it, but collectively we haven't done as much. I mean, that's the short version of it, right? <laughs> um, look, we're opening up a entirely new sort of um, uh, surface area here that we're talking about in terms of, as you said, unintended consequences, um, you know, bias in the way we build this AI and ML, uh, and those are unintentional biases that we, you know, we might have in there. Um, the uh, AI itself is interesting with AI is, comes on the back of a lot of data and the data has significant kind of issues associated with privacy and, 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 yep. uh, and uh, um, security. And so those are considerations uh, to work through, um, let alone sovereignty and other issues that are kind of emerging that we have, to, we have to manage. And then I think even if you step away from the technology of it, I think even broaden that out, I think there's bigger things, right? 
what is the place of AI in a workforce and where is the balance between human and, 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 and AI in this case? And how do we actually think through um, on what is going to happen inevitably, by the way, because the business benefits we're going to accrue on the back of this is just so compelling that we will move for all the right reasons into that world more and more. Yep. But to recognize that and proactively plan for that in terms of skilling and resourcing and people and training and all those sorts of things. So we bring our community with us in the long run, right? That's not like the tomorrow morning uh, worry. Tomorrow morning yeah. worry is security and privacy. And then how do we make sure sure. that we don't have unintended use and, and those sorts of things. Um, but really, I think long term, I think we need to think about essentially where, where the puck is moving and how do we orient the, our, our communities to be able to take advantage of it. And I think those are more longer term things to think through. And so, you know, look, I said this a few years ago, and I think at the time people were laughing at it. Now it's become very close <laughs> to reality, which is I actually think boards will evolve. And, you know, just like boards now have audits and yep. subcommittees or, you know, or, or compensation committees. I think very much in the same way, there's going to be a digital ethics committee. And some companies are much closer to that than others, but that is going to become the reality of the new world. And so this is a topic to be taken seriously. It is not something you can layer on at the end, as you and I both know. You can't go build something and say, okay, now that we got that done, well, let's just layer on some responsible ethics on top of it. It can't be done that way, right? You have to start from the scratch. Start from, this, from, from scratch and you have to build it in. And so having a framework in place, getting the governance in place, getting it a seat on the board table, getting a digital ethics officer in place, these are all key and important steps. And so I think we have a lot more work to do. Um, having said that, by the way, I don't feel bad about where we are. I mean, we have progressed a lot, a lot in the last few that's years. True. And so that actually gives me a lot of encouragement and a lot of promise for the world to come. No, it's actually true. And into your point on board engagement, I think... S and the G of ESG, you know, now ESG is a big topic on boards, right? So it's, it, it should include that, right? And otherwise, you're, you're not really catching that part of the surface area in, in, in driving that uh, for your business. And so fascinating. So these are a little bit more longer term problems and stuff, right? Tell me more about what you're seeing. What are some of the still critical problems that are problems today with AI that you, you know, you're, what's your call for innovators to go solve, right? Yeah. So, um, look, I sit in a world that has just an amazing amount of um, dark data, data that is, you know, sitting in voicemail or emails or PowerPoints or PDF files. Yes. Um, this is years and years, decades of business intelligence that is captured, right? That email that I sent to my insurance agent, I don't know, 10 years ago saying, hey, I can't make the Friday meeting because it's my son's fifth birthday. Uh, you know, fast forward that same email 11 years later, you know, can lead to a simple email from the, from the insurance company saying, Sanjay, I know your older son's turning 16. Here's a list of, you know, best <laughs> driving schools that we know in your area. And, and what a transformation that means for that business, which for me was this reactive, I'll call you when I need you. Meanwhile, don't bug me because I don't really need anything else to, I'm looking forward to get those moments of influence at the right point where they can impact, you know, and inform me in decisions I need to make. And so they're the sorts of opportunities that that exist. And uh, and so the 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 game is all about not necessarily, you know, sort of just, you know, I think there's a lot of development and R&D that needs to come in AI, but it's the application of AI in a real business context, understanding the business nuance, understanding what data exists, understanding where it sits, be able to sift through that and harmonize it and extract it and ingest it and 
and, 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 and then be able to run AI and other algorithms. But the idea is to get to productive insights that actually inform action and get you to the end results, right? So I'll give you a few examples. I mean, the best example is, you know, of all things um, that we do, we actually support a racing team, uh, uh, an electric uh, racing team, the Formula E, uh, one of the Formula E teams. And yep. what's amazing in the work we do there is, you know, we sit down and sort of say, well, how do we apply AI here? And I'll tell you what we did last year. I mean, this is like a fifth, you know, fourth or fifth evolution of uh, projects we've done. And this one's super interesting because it turns out when you race on a racing circuit, you know, the, 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 the 12 teams that are racing, are the drivers actually talking to the engineers on their on their headphones sure. uh, and, and getting inputs and instructions and sharing ideas and this and the other. And so you can imagine, and all those 12 channels are on the same radio frequency, so everyone can hear everyone else. And it's, it's just this cacophony of stuff going on. A lot of it is just casual <laughs> stuff. Some of it is really important stuff. And the ability to listen and actually tune into that, super important, right? Like you can get real good cues that allow you to take a turn when you need to or, 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 or overtake someone, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And so we started, we started with that and said, geez, what can we do with it? And the team went in and said, okay, well, there's a lot of data that's quote unquote locked up. It's dark. We can't, A, we can't extract it and B, if we extracted it, by the time we do something, or it's almost too late. Like the guy's already taken the turn, like you're too far behind, right? Yeah. And so we put something together or the team put something together and this is incredible work. But it's the idea of actually converting all of that voice to text and then extracting from text the things that are relevant versus irrelevant, you know, the, the, the needle in the haystack problem. And then when they're relevant, being able to convert that into a recommendation and then do all of that dynamically in real time. I mean, this is a car race, right? Yeah. So these things are moving fast. And so those are very interesting applications, but it's all about lighting up dark data and being able to utilize that and convert them into insights, into things that earn productive value. So I, I kind of just say that. And look, I, I, you know, I, I get asked this by many corporations that are embarking on the journey. And, and the big question is, you know, um, you know what, are, what are three words of advice, right? And I don't, I say this with humility because, you know, we've learned this through the hard way, right? <laughs> you know, you fall a few times learning how to cycle and then you learn cycling and you do it better than anyone else. And it's because you've fallen more than anyone else, not because you were naturally good at it. And so, you know, I think this whole notion first of um, POC versus production um, and having a mindset to production as opposed to, I think you were saying earlier, experimentation or this incubator, let's just get this incubator together and we'll experiment with a bunch of stuff. I think it's great to get you know, a, a lot of eyes on it and a lot of championship and, 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 and belief in the power. But when you go from that to actual production, I mean, it goes back to the, the idea that 5%, 10% of the work is AI, 95% of the work is actually structuring and engineering the application that allows you to do that in a yep. meaningfully stable and scalable way. And so start with that, like start with a production endpoint in mind as opposed to a test and experiment at DOC. So I think that's a big one. I also think the other one that's super important, particularly in the context of business application, actually, everywhere, but business in particular is, is explainability and adoption, right? Um, and it's one, and, and one drives the other, right? So you have to be able to explain how you came to an answer. And it doesn't have to be, you know, first of all, you can't be like, hey, trust me, it's a, it's a, you know, black box, but we'll get it right. No, I'm not going to trust you. I need to know exactly why. And, but on the other hand, it doesn't have to be this, I mean, this intricate amount of math that you have to display. So, if you could just breadcrumb it, like uh, I'll give you an example, right? We, we we do a lot of what we call financial spreading, which is the idea of looking at a bank's loan portfolio. And, you know, so you got a portfolio of you know, 5,000 companies that the bank would have lent, lent to, and you, you're trying to figure out the risk on that portfolio. And the way you do that, you go through every balance sheet in that in that, in that that portfolio, you analyze that, you know, apply scores, and you kind of aggregate the score up, and you can understand the math behind it. But um, what we do is we, we actually use AI to actually extract, our, you know, all the information from a balance sheet and and, and then, you know, do all of this conversion. And so, but the idea is that when you 
when you give you a risk number, Ganesh, you can kind of go, Sanjay, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that number. And I'd go, Ganesh, click on it. And you click on it. It breaks it down by, you know, here are the top 10 companies in that portfolio that drove this specific thing. It's like, well, this one doesn't look right. And we'll click on it. And then you break it down and, and then you click again, you click on it. And it's like, okay, that number, I really don't buy Sanjay. And it's kind of like, okay, look at that. And it's like, here are the two sentences on the footnote on page 19 of this balance sheet that you know, gave us that indication, right? And if you and you look back and say, what would I have done in the real world? Where I'd walk down to the CPA that was or the individual that was doing the work, and I'd go over to them, knock them on their shoulder, and say, Sanjay, what's going on? And what would Sanjay do? He'd pull up the balance sheet and show you those two sentences, right? So it's the same thing. You have to breadcrumb it down to that level so people can kind of get that. And that I think drives a lot of adoption. And so I always, you know, when you when you want to put when you want to put AI into an enterprise environment, um, you have to have explainability built in. And then my third thing, and we covered this earlier, is just governance, right? It's, uh, you know, you design it in, right? Don't add it on at the later. Design it in at day one and think through the different aspects of governance and, and put up a framework and get the components in place and spend the time on it and, you know, you'll get to the right endpoint and, and know that just adding at the last minute uh, it won't get you to the right answer. And so... You know, those are sort of, you know, a few things that I think is super important as we all start or embark or maybe go deeper into our AI journeys. There's a lot of value to be had. Um, we see so many productive, you know, real life use cases. Um, but, and, and it used to be, it's just productivity. It's not about productivity. It's actually about new value. It's about competitive differentiation. It's about yep. pricing. It's about revenue increase, right? Uh, that we wouldn't otherwise get without AI, but then you have to approach it in a very methodical fashion with all the right basics in place. So that's sort of how I think about it. That's awesome. You know, just to to, to quickly summarize for myself the part on what problems are still unsolved. I, mean, I, I could not agree with you more, right? Which is uh, dark data and you called it. I'm, I'm actually looking at not just the historic dark data, but 90% of all net new data being created is unstructured, right? And the problem with just unstructured data, one, it's sitting in all those different things and it's all going to be dark because you're not, it's not easily analyzable. But on top of that, you have to capture the context of what that data is in relation to, right? So then brings the problem of the interconnected data, if you will. So I think you rightly said, I think that's the huge opportunity for entrepreneurs all over. And then on the advice to the organizations, I love the way you have a very crisp three pointers, right? One is start with a production mindset. So that aligns a lot of things, what you do from POC to getting in there capability building, talent, thinking about it as an engineering system, that kind of stuff, right? Explainability and adoption. I could, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that you brought that up and people think of explainability as a technical only term that you have to actually get the, you know, understand the area under the curve kind of thing. But the more important thing is how do you help users, business users who have the context interrogate the data or the the recommendations, so, yeah. so they gain more trust in that, right? So it's it's amazing, and then governance actually making sure that you you have the right guardrails and the uh, uh, and kill switches for unintended consequences. I think it's beautiful, brilliant advice for that, um, Sanjay. This has been a blast. How can the viewers and listeners get in touch with you? Where can they find you on the internet? And I, if I remember right, you also have a show, a weekly show that you actually do quick conversations with business leaders, right? Uh, where can they find you on the internet? Well, I'm on LinkedIn and the, and I manage my LinkedIn myself and I run it uh, through it every day. So that's probably the easiest way for people to get a hold of me. Uh, and then I'm obviously okay. at GenPact as well. So um, And I welcome all interactions. So I look forward to that. Awesome. Sanjay, thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time today. This was a blast. 
and uh, I can't wait to actually collaborate with, uh, with you more. Oh, you've been very generous. Thank you for taking the time. I love our, loved our conversations. Always love talking to you. Good luck with what you do and we'll catch up separately. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one, share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for me or my guests. And check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.